following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Good morning. If you would open up your Bible to the book of James, where we're going to be at this morning, your Bible or your electronic device, uh, we'll be in the end of James chapter 1. James is in the New Testament, on the right-hand side of the Bible, or electronic device, it's in there somewhere. James chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 26 and 27 today, and uh We'll go back and we're just going to rehash just a little bit. James chapter 1, verse 1. We know that James is the stepbrother of Jesus. Amazing, right? I would like to be in those shoes. Not so much. Yeah, go clean up your room like your brother. No, that's not cool. Right, James, he is the uh, stepbrother of Jesus. But then also we realize in James chapter 1, verse 1, he says that he writes to the 12 tribes who are scattered. Now, when I first look at that, I think to myself, what does that mean? We go back in the Old Testament and you realize that there's 12 tribes of Israel, the Jews that God loved and that he cared for, and now they're finding themselves, essentially Jews are scattered all over the place. They don't have a temple, they don't have a tabernacle, they don't have really a place to worship anymore, and so they're kind of trying to figure out life, like what do I do with my life now that I don't really have a place to go. Now, the same could be true, primary purpose for the Jews Secondary purpose would be for me and you, which is everyday people. We are called Gentiles because we're not Jews, but we're also in kind of a similar or same boat, aren't we? Us, we're uh, kind of walking all over the place trying to figure out two things. One, what am I here for, right? Why am I here? And two, after I know why I'm here, what am I supposed to do with my life? Those are the two huge questions that people ask. And James tells us that whether you're a Jew who's kind of dispersed all over the place right now, or you're a Gentile, he says that you're going to meet trials and you're going to meet tribulations. James chapter 1, verse 2 says you should consider that pure joy, he says essentially. You should approach your trials and your tribulations with joy because they tell us who we are as people. We learn about ourselves when we meet trials. We also learn about who God is in trials. So James says you shouldn't duck your trials, you shouldn't you know, try to avoid them, you should approach those trials head on. You should look at them as opportunities to learn about who you are and who God is and the fact that God loves you and He cares for you. And in that trial and that tribulation, you'll see, if you're really truly searching, how good of a father He is that He wants a relationship with you through His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. The way that we have a relationship with God is through Christ. His blood that was shed was a permanent sacrifice, a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins, those who would confess and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. We call this the family of God. So James chapter 1, verse 2, all the way pretty much through about 16, 17, things like that, he essentially talks about trials. And a couple weeks ago, we looked at those things as a congregation and we approached them as opportunities to learn about God and ourselves and grow in those things. Don't be deceived, he says, <clears throat> brothers, as it continues on in the rest of the text. We talked a little bit about last week, about us as a congregation, whenever God's word is preached, or whenever it's read, we have an opportunity to kind of lean into that word 
and wheat. First of all, use the illustration of like a farmer, that we have to do some weeding before there can be some seeding. And so we anticipate when God's word is preached or when it's taught or when it's read because we lean in kind of like a will being read. Because we're God's people and we want to know what it says. James tells us ultimately you should be doers of the word, right? So he tells you, you should be doers, not just hearers of the word, but you should do what it says. We glazed over two verses and we want to hone back in on those two verses. If you look at James chapter 1, verse 26. He says, if anyone... Considers himself religious. We're going to look at two words this morning. Look at the word religion, and we're going to look at the word world. He says, if anybody considers himself religious, and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he, or she, deceives himself or herself, and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted. By the world. James essentially, if we look at religion, and I would ask you a question what does it look like for somebody to be religious? Some of you guys would have interesting answers. Some of you guys might look at me and say, uh, Jordan, I think that a religious person goes to church. And I would say, if they go to Community Gospel Church, you're correct. <laughs> Just kidding. If somebody might say, I think a religious person is one who goes to Bible studies, right? You may have, well, that might be a religious person. Some of you guys who maybe grew up without church, you would look at it and say, Jordan, I think a religious person is somebody who's just good. They're just a good person. They're morally well, right? Now, James is writing here to Jews as well as us. And he says, essentially, that I'm not concerned if you're an irreligious person or a religious person. I'm concerned more about the spirit of religion that is coming out of in here. So James would look at us and he would say, I'm concerned with how your heart is speaking, because out of the mouth, the heart speaks. He gives you two, essentially, ways to figure out if the heart is on the right track. He says, first of all, if somebody has a true spirit of religion, it would be in the way they talk. So, in context of chapter 1, with when we get into trials and tribulations, if you have somebody who's in a trial or a tribulation or going through something, they might look at you and go, you know what? God is good. He's always there. They might quote... Um, Romans chapter 10, or, you know, Romans chapter 8. God is working for the good of those who love him. And out of their heart, they're realizing that in those trials, that God's good. And so they have this true spirit of religion. Other people might look at it, and they might say in that same trial, God's not there. Man, he doesn't exist. I can't believe that he would do something like this. And they're speaking a false sense of religion. So we see that first and foremost when James talks about the tongue. The spirit of religion, what is going on in the heart? It's either a true spirit of religion coming from Jesus Christ or it's false. The second way he says that is not just in what you say, but in what you do, like what you do with your hands and your feet. Like James would give us the illustration about orphans and widows taking care of those people who can't pay you back. I mean, they can't give back to you. They can't, you know, essentially repay that. So somebody who has a true spirit of religion would be somebody who essentially puts into practice what they know with their hands and their feet. James would say, out of that heart comes compassion and passion through hands and feet. But then he says there's a false sense of religion because a lot of times when people hit trials and tribulations, you know what happens? They go internal, right? Oh, woe is me. Oh my goodness, I can't believe this happened to me. And they shut their door and they lock it and they just want people to come. They just want them to be like, you know what? Like, oh, just, just remorseful. Right? It's a false spirit of religion. 
Somebody who has a true spirit of religion would be somebody who actually goes and does be a doer, James chapter 1, of the word, he says, essentially. So, he's talking essentially about motive. Now, you go into verse 27, because that would be religion. What is the motive? Number two, he says, if we do these things, have a true sense of religion based off a relationship we have with Jesus Christ, the end of 27 is huge. And here's my question. He says, if we do these things, we keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. It's a good question. How do I remain unstained or unpolluted by the world, right? How do I do this, essentially? James, help me out. How do I understand how to be unpolluted or unstained from the world as a Christian? That's a theme that the Bible speaks about over and over and over and over again, is worldliness. He talks about it over and over and over again. How do I remain unstained or unpolluted from the world? Dear Jesus, this is your word, it's not mine. It's your truth, not mine. Impress these truths on our heart this morning. Help us to understand that they're important, and they're practical, and they're real, and they can be applied in an everyday setting. Help us to assess some of these things in our own life as we approach your truth this morning. Give us the opportunity to grow, to do what this says, so that we remain unpolluted and unstained by the world. All God's people said, Amen. Number one, first thing that you have to do, okay? First thing that you have to do to remain unstained and unpolluted from the world is, first of all, understand worldliness, first and foremost, and then be guarded against it, if you're taking notes with me. Understand worldliness, and then be guarded against it. Well, what is worldliness? If we go over to James chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world, and there's that key word there, becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit has caused to live in us envies intensely? Anybody who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You're to bounce over a little bit. And in 1 John chapter um, 2, verse 15, he says, Do not love the world or anything of the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he does... And has comes not from the Father, but from the world. So let's define world this morning. Let's define it. World is a system or a structure that Satan has control of. Now I know you guys think of world, but you're thinking created world, like stars and grass and you know, like birds and people and all those. We're not talking about that. When the Bible speaks of world. It's talking about a system in which Satan has control over, where he uses unregenerate or unsaved individuals operating off their desires to accomplish his, his will and his purpose. How do we know this? If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, or 2 Corinthians, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Satan has blinded those people who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, so that they cannot see the high glory of the gospel, and they can't see Jesus Christ. If you go to another verse, another passage of scripture, it says, go to the next slide, it says that Satan is essentially using the whole world under his control. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. World defined. A system 
which Satan has control over. Now, God has control over the whole universe and all the created things. He's allowing this to happen at the current moment. But this is a system world, a system in which Satan uses unregenerate, unsaved individuals based off of their desires that they have in order to accomplish his will and his purpose. How do we know that's true? Well, if you look in 1 John, it says they go off of three things. This is what Satan uses in regards to man's desire. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He would say that these men, these unregenerate unbelievers, this is the world, operate off three desires. You go next Here's the desires that he has. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. No, 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 go back. All right, he says that this is essentially what people use. And you guys might look at that and um, define it, clarify it for a little bit. Okay, let's go to the lust of the eyes in 1 John. Lust of the eyes would first and foremost be those things in which we're gravitated towards that are not of God. So let's say, for example, your favorite TV show or maybe your favorite movie. When we go to watch a movie anymore, we look at it and say, uh, G or PG rating doesn't fly, right? Doesn't hold your attention. But something that maybe is like PG-13 or R-rated, you know, kind of draws you in a little bit more. It's got to have some sex. It's got to have some violence in it for me to kind of remain attentive to that thing. Some of you guys are like that, right? I mean, you're just drawn to those things. You don't know why you're drawn to it, but when it comes on screen, you're like, like watching a train wreck. I can't look away. I just have to remain like kind of focused on this thing. And I don't know why I'm focused on it. But that's a desire that's of the world and of Satan. And any time that God's people operate off those desires of unsafe, unregenerate people, we are worldly. So is it wrong for me to watch TV? I don't know. I think that's a different discussion for a different day. But I think it's worth asking. If this guy is unsaved, he's an unbeliever, and I am saved, and I'm a believer, and I'm operating off his motives and his desires that are not of God, I'm worldly. That's what the Bible says. Secondly, maybe for you guys, you're like, you know what, like, I don't have a problem with TV. All right, great. What about money? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. Some of those things that we crave and desire, you know, like, like I'm going to make a ton of money so I can have something that I don't necessarily need, right? Because Frank, my neighbor, needs to see how great I am because I have all this stuff. I know there's nobody here. There's probably somebody else down the church down the road. But anyway, he says, this is, again, an unregenerated, unregenerated, unsaved individual. That's his motive. That's the world's motive. Satan operates in a system that he controls uses unsaved individuals operating off of those desires. And he says, you, Christian, anytime you operate off of those desires of unsaved individuals, you're worldly. You, me, we're worldly. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. So some of you guys are like, Jordan, TV's not an issue. No big deal. Some of you guys are like, you know what? Like, I don't have problems with stuff either. You can come in, you can take all my stuff. I'm sure there's some people that would meet you after church to claim that stuff, okay? But anyway... <clears throat> They have to confess any way and repent. But he also says the pride of life. So maybe for you it's making a name for yourself. You know, maybe for you it's not media or it's not, you know, owning stuff. It's just that you want to be important. You want to be over somebody. You know? 
ask the lustful flesh and the pride of life. Anytime we operate in the desires of the unsaved, unregenerate world, we're worldly. We're worldly. That's what the Bible says. He looks at that and he says, do not love the world or anything of the world. So let me ask you a question here this morning. Because I've been asking it all week. Am I motivated by the ways of the world? Or am I motivated by the world? I mean, this has just like struck me to a core this past week. Like, if I were to be really, truly honest, am I motivated by this word to do what it says? That's what James tells us. You do what this, this book says. You'll find joy, you'll find life, you'll find peace, you'll find all this stuff that's good, that's godly, that is set from above, he says. Are you motivated by that, or are you motivated by the same thing that the world is motivated by. Sometimes I look at it and I go, how do people know that we're Christians or not? Well, no wonder people don't know we're Christians because we're not different or distinct from the unsaved. There's nothing that motivates us that's different from this guy. James says this is a problem. So, what do we do with that? <laughs> what do we do? It's a good question. I'm glad you asked. He says, <clears throat> ultimately, what you'll do is you'll separate in some way. Okay, so we kind of find this out. You guys are thinking about it. You're like, oh my goodness. I came to church this morning, and Jordan's saying i got to burn my TV. And uh, he's saying i got to get rid of my social media. And man, i got to sell my truck. And I don't like this church a whole lot anymore. I'm not saying that, okay? I'm not saying that. Because we know Solomon had some stuff. He used them for God sometimes, and the other times he really did it. All right, but we have to pursue this thing called separation. All right, the first pursuit in, in separation is you will first and foremost isolate yourself. Okay, you'll isolate yourself. There's two forms of separation. You'll isolate yourself. What happens when you isolate yourself? Well, you know two groups of people that do this. When people start to think about some of this stuff, and they go, oh my goodness, I'm motivated by the th same things in the world. i got to get away from it. The first thing that people will do is they'll separate themselves by isolation. This happened in James. This happened in Timothy. This happens in uh, Romans. It happens all over the place. And they'll separate themselves. Or to isolate themselves. What happens when you isolate yourself? We have a great example of what isolation looks like down the road. You guys know where I'm going with this. In the Amish community, they've looked at the world and they said the desires of the world, the things that the world craves, we can't crave those things. So what we're going to do is we're going to isolate ourselves and we're going to go over in this camp. And we're going to be so distinct that we're not biblical anymore. They've isolated themselves. They so said we don't do what you guys do. We don't act the way that you guys act. We don't function the way that you guys function, and, uh, and it looks different. And for some reason, we would look at that group of people and we would scratch our head. We'd say, there's something just not, something not right there. I don't know, I can't put my finger on it. Like, I'm not really sure, but I don't think that's biblical. When I drive by the carriage, I'm like, my God, who's a sinner here? Me? Because I really like my car. <laughs> or this guy, you know? And sometimes I just want to give him a ride, right? I'm like, hey, man, I can get you where you want to go a whole lot faster. Right? Who's wrong? And this guy says that I'm right because I've isolated myself. I know the desires of the world and things like that, and I've isolated myself. You know, this isn't something new. People used to do this back um, hundreds of years ago. They're called monks. Monks used to do this. They would separate themselves. They would isolate themselves from the world. The desires and the cravings of the world would kind of start to creep in, and they would creep up. And all of a sudden, they found themselves isolated. They took vows of silence. Right? Can you imagine? I couldn't do that. Wow. 
My mom looked at me in our car, we're going to take baths baths. I'm like, the Kool-Aid's a little strong. I got to go. But I do. They're isolated. So that's not right, right? I mean, there's something just wrong there. We scratch our head. And here's why I think it doesn't make sense. Because how do we evangelize if we're isolated? How do we do that? Like, how do I evangelize to somebody who is lost if I'm isolated from them? And don't get me wrong, it's not just monks or Amish people, but it's us too, right, in the church. We get so isolated from everything else that the world has to offer. I mean, we got Monday night, something going on there, and there's a meeting there, and then Tuesday night I'm back at the church, and Wednesday night I'm back at the church, and those things aren't wrong, per se. But when you become so kind of indoctrinated with something that you become so not relating to the world, there's an issue, there's a problem. So what do you do? How do, I, how do I be in the world, but not of it? Oh, what am I supposed to do? Because anybody, according to 1 John chapter 15, loves the world or anything of the world. The love of the Father is not in him. I can't evangelize if I'm isolated. So what am I supposed to do? I'm glad you asked. You go over to the book of John. So over to the left a little bit. You go over to the book of John. John is one of the last gospels uh, that was written. I love the book of John. It just makes sense to me because I think Jesus knows that I'm dense and I'm hard-headed. <clears throat> and uh, it's, it just reads really well for me. If you go to uh, John chapter 17, I love this because Jesus is talking to his disciples. John 17, verse 15, as a matter of fact. And the way in which we have to be as Christians <clears throat> to avoid worldliness is we have to be separate of Jesus or biblically separate. What does that look like? Watch this. Jesus is with his disciples and he's preaching. He says, my prayer, okay, watch this. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. What is the world? The world is a system that is operated by, that Satan has control over for the current time period where he uses unregenerate, unsaved individuals based off of their desires and motives that are ungodly in order to accomplish his will. Okay? Anytime that we operate off of those same desires, we're worldly. But Jesus says, he prays first and foremost for his disciples, then he prays for you. He prays for you. He prays for me. Are you kidding me? The king of the universe prays for me in this passage of scripture. I'm blown away. My prayer is that you not take them out of the world. So we have to live here, right? We have to be here. So there's the first question. Why am I here? I'm here to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm here to confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm to be saved, as you would. Right? This is my purpose, is to have a relationship with God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's first and foremost. That's my purpose as a human being. Well, let's answer the second question. That you don't be taken out of the world. In other words, don't isolate yourself. For the love of all souls, don't isolate yourself. But that, watch as he prays that the God of the universe would protect us from the evil one. As we're present in the society. Is that crazy? Yeah. Because watch this. 16 is the change. They, those who have confessed and believed that Jesus Christ is Lord. They, you and me, okay, are not of this world. I'm not of this world. When I believed in Jesus Christ, these motives and these desires that the sinful man has, right? Those aren't me anymore. I'm going to be different from you. I'm going to operate off a different principle than you. I'm going to practice different than you do, right? I'm going to to be so distinct. I'm not of this world. Even as, now watch, Jesus says it, even as what? I'm not of it. 
different from the world, even as Jesus was different from the world. So we can relate to Jesus in this situation. Did you notice that? That God doesn't leave you just to be? Isn't that amazing? That's the, that's the creator that we worship. It's the guy who died on the cross for our sins. He doesn't just let you kind of figure out life by yourself. There's four books in the Bible that were written specifically to show you how to live. I know Jesus Christ exists. I know my purpose is to have a relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. So what am I supposed to do? That's the second question. What am I supposed to do? Be like, Jesus, watch this. You're not of this world, even as I'm not of this world. <clears throat> so I want you to sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So even as God has sent Jesus Christ into the world, did you know that he sent you into the world? Did you have a mission? Did you have a purpose? You were sent into the world. What's our purpose? It's twofold. To evangelize those who are lost and edify those who are already found. My job is to go out like Jesus did and to find people who don't know him and communicate clearly the bad news and the good news. The bad news is that they're sinners and they deserve death. The good news is that Christ died for them and they can have a relationship with him. And those that already know it, we encourage them, right? As a church, we come alongside somebody and we're like, hey, you look really, really nice today because it's a shed of Jesus. He says, my desire is that you be like me. You sanctify them or set them apart. Sanctify is the key word there. You sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. I've sent them into the world. For, they, for them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified when sanctified. Twofold. First thing. The first thing is that we relate to the world like Jesus relates to the world. This is huge for you this morning. It's huge for me. That you relate to the world like Jesus relates to the world. How do I do that? <coughs> When Jesus comes into the world, he's so intent and he's so compassionate for people that are present in his life that he intently listens to them. If we go back to James chapter 1, verse 26, we brindle our tongue until the time comes for us to communicate the truth of God's word. We listen with intent. Do you do that? When you talk to somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ, how much time do you spend talking and how much time do you spend listening to them? I want to know what's really going on. Who, what, when, where, why, how. I mean, I ask questions. I'm a curious individual. I'm curious up to the point until they open the door for me and not to be loose to speak the truth of God's word to them. And you know what happens? That sets me apart from that guy's motives and my motivation. Do you do that? Do you listen intently? Are you out in the world relating to them and listening intently and hearing what they have to say so that you don't argue with them, but so that you lead them to the truth because your word is truth? Because that out of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So out of my heart, I, I, I speak. And some of us look at it and we go, but Jordan, I don't know what to say. Like, I don't know what to say. You don't know what to say because you don't spend time in your word. It's true. Like, a lot of times you're like, I, I don't know what to say. If we were spending time in God's Word every single day, the Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, who's our counselor, and God would give you the words to say when they're needed to be said. Jesus comes in the world, He eats with sinners. He listens intently to them. He brindles His tongue until the time comes for Him to speak the truth of God's Word into their life. It changes them. Because God's Word always changes people. James chapter 1, verse 26. Spirit of religion. 
out of my heart your mouth speaks. Those of you who own businesses, your employees say that about you? You're speaking scripture to them? You're like, Jordan, man, I don't know how that would go over, you know? Have you ever tried it? Your friends, your relationships, those of you who are married, do you speak the truth of scripture to your spouse? Man, I know I struggle with that. I think it would be pretty awesome if that they came home in town and started speaking Song of Solomon to her, right? <laughs> My daughters would be like, whoa, what is dad? What's wrong with you? And I'm like, you need to go that. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So we relate to the world of Jesus. We're waiting for a time in which we can talk back to them and tell them about the truths of Scripture. Now watch this. The, the, separate, the, the second thing is true, though, too, as well. Because if you look at it, we're relating to the world like Jesus, but we're separate from them. So the second thing in James chapter 1, verse 27 is that not just with your mouth you would speak the truths of Scripture, but you would do it, too. You would take care of them. So Jesus comes, and he relates to people all the way up to the point to where he takes care of their needs, too. Do you notice that? Jesus takes care of widows and orphans. Watch this in the text. It's fascinating. Jesus heals the blind. He brings people back from the dead. How do you repay Jesus after he brings your brother back from the dead? You don't. When James is using this illustration, he's using it for you and for me to show you how you take care of people with your hands and your feet based off of the profession you have that Jesus Christ is Lord. You do things for people. I can't repay you back for that. There's no way. Like, I, I mean, I can see somebody trying in Jesus' day. Like, thanks so much for bringing Lazarus back to death. We'd like to feed you lasagna tonight. Lasagna? Like, what are you talking about? Why? No. What's Jesus' ask after he does these things for people? You do the same thing. Go and do likewise. He says it over and over and over and over again. Be separate from the world like I'm in the world. Speak the truth of the scriptures like I speak the truth of the scriptures. Repay people, or don't ask people to repay you. James chapter 1, verse 27. What is your spirit of religion? What's your motivation? What's the drive behind what you do? You notice that? Because what happens is when you get in that spot, you become distinct and you become different. And then the world watches. It's a big thing for the Jews in James' time here. He wanted the Jews who were dispersed to be different and to be distinct. He wants you and me to be different and distinct. He wants you to speak the truth of Scripture when they need to be spoken. He wants you to use your hands and your feet when they need to be used. And he says this is essentially what will happen. <clears throat> so let me ask you a question here this morning. How do people know you? I mean, if I were to just take an assessment. Man, I took this assessment and I got some work to do. Like, if I were to go up to the people who know you, I'd say, what makes Jordan distinct? What would they say? Would they say, man, you know what? He loves football. <laughs> well, anyway. <laughs> he loves this or he loves that. You know, what would be the first thing out of him? What would they say about you? Oh, would they say, man, he loves Jesus? That's all, that's all I hear him talking about is the Word of God. It's on the tip of his tongue every time he speaks. What they say, man who loves taking care of his yard. I'll tell you what, man. Jordan's yard. My neighbor's here this morning. She's like, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> what would they say? Or would they say you're a, a doer of the Word that you profess? 
Jesus Christ, a proper substitutionary sacrifice to die on the cross for my sin. But that blood that was shed covers all my sins, past and present, even the ones in the future. The only way it does that is if I would believe in you. You got it. I believe in you. I believe your word is true. And I believe you'll never leave us. I believe you'll never forsake us. I believe in your helper and your guide, the Holy Spirit, who convicts but also encourages and teaches. And I believe that those who have put their faith and their trust in you, the same Spirit that rose you from the dead, is convicting and encouraging them even right now. God, it's not something that we can do on our own. And so would you search our hearts right now in this moment <coughs> to identify anything that is in us, any desire that the world has that is not of you. And give us the ability to eliminate it. Whether that be with raising our kids or in our marriages, in our other relationships that we have, in our jobs, the places that you have called us to. If there's anything in us right now, God, any desire that is not of you, I pray that you would help us to be doers of the word and eliminate that. To really seek out the motives behind what we do and why we do it. Because God, we want to be distinct. But not for ourselves, not for our own pride of life. We want to be distinct for your glory. We want to be distinct for your son. We want people to look at us and see you have the opportunity to respond to you. 
but that they come in to know you for the first time, like, encouraging them to grow in their faith. Would you help us do that this morning, God? That's what we're here for. I love the words that David said in the book of Psalms when he asked you to search his heart. Search our hearts, God. Give us the ability to know that all things are possible with you. Make us distinct. So that we can make your son Jesus know both near and far. All that's been said. Amen. Amen. We're going to uh, take the Lord's Supper uh, this morning. And um, the Lord's Supper is simple. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus Christ is the Lord, guess what? You can participate. Pass around the bread and pass around the cup. The bread is uh, a symbol of Jesus' body that was broken. And then um, the cup is uh, grape juice, not wine. Don't want here. Um, it's a symbol of uh, <coughs> Jesus' blood that was shed. It's a symbolic representation of the internal belief that we have. So if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you get to take it this morning. It's a remembrance. We do it as a remembrance of what Jesus did for us, the fact that we believe in him. The kids are coming in because they take communion with us. A lot of uh, our kids have um, accepted Jesus too as well. If you haven't accepted Jesus, just let it pass by you. Lord, you can accept Jesus and participate. Uh, the Bible also tells us before we take communion to examine your hearts, see where you're at. Examine your hearts before the Lord and see where you're at. Um, and get right with him before you take this. Okay. Your motives, why are you doing what you're doing? Our ushers are going to come up. Uh, they're going to pass out the elements. Today, we're going to let you take them as you see fit. You know, um, man, I'll tell you what, uh, Bethany's going to kind of play the piano, and um, if you want to come up front, you want to pray, um, we'll let you do that. Uh, there's nothing symbolic about that. Some people like to come forward and just kind of kneel and just kind of separate themselves, and then you don't like the person who's sitting next to you in the pew this morning. You know, we understand that thing as well. Just kidding. Nobody's getting up now. I raise up. But if you need to just kind of take a few moments and, and, and come up, you can come up and do that as well. But we're going to let these guys come up, um, distribute the elements, you take them, and then I'll come up and pray when, when we're all done. So let me pray first. God, thanks so much for your body and your blood that was, sh your body that was broken and your blood that was shed. Thanks for uh, the call and the command to do this, to take communion, to remember um, our belief that we have in you. We thank you for the opportunity to do that this morning. Help us to search ourselves um, before we take this. Help our motives to be right. Um, we ask that this will be an opportunity for us to be doers of the word, catalysts for changes uh, that need to be made in the future. Give us an opportunity to really um, participate today, to celebrate, to praise you, but also as a way for us to continue to make your son. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church Podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, Simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.